This week on Carpe Diem, we'll be talking about NPCs, that's non-player character creation. We have James Rouse Iniguez as our special guest. We have the Silver Dragon as the Monster of the Week, and we also have the Rule of Cool. that time to pray to your gods. Wow. I developed them using the skills I have learned in this game. Um, <laughs> we haven't even things. talked about your gods yet. We I know. We're going to need to. Oh my god. <laughs> and our gods are important. Hi, I'm Meredith SK and this is the fourth episode of Carpe Diem, the podcast where we learn, I learn, how to become a dungeon master. Ooh, lucky number four. Wait, is that yeah. is four and lucky? It, it depends on who you talk to. Oh, okay. What theology you've built around right. numbers. Uh, I'm Alexei Othan and Gerard. And I'm Chris Hawkabout. And we're joined tonight by James Rouse Iniguez, who is uh, our guest star and my dungeon master in the 5th edition D&D game that he runs. Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. Thank you for we being are, here. Yeah, we're delighted that you're here. Yeah. So this week we are talking about NPC creation, which mm-hmm. is, I find... I'm really excited about it, uh, partially because NPCs are really interesting to me, but also because we've been using it as the example for this podcast when yep. we describe it to people forever. So, so now it will be no a, pressure. an actual real thing. Yeah. yeah. Also makes... known as the cast, the character actors of your story. Right. Yeah. Dramatis personae. Exactly. If you want to get... Uh, <laughs> I, I I have in my game notes often my NPC cast is labeled Dramatis Personae yeah. because I'm a theater nerd. Alexei, Chris, yes. what is an NPC? Oh, yeah. An NPC is a non-player character, meaning any character not played by a player. So generally uh, in a role-playing game, you have the game master uh, and you have a series of players. The players each have a character and the game master then portrays any character uh, who is not portrayed by one of the players. Okay, so that's monsters. Yep. But it's also sometimes party members? It's everyone you meet. It's yeah, it's monsters, but it's that old hermit you meet on the side of the road. It's the tavern owner. It's yeah, everyone. It's everyone. It's 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 everyone. The talking tree, you know, the uh, magical the, the, ant. The magical ant, all of the gods and goddesses. The and the Catha the Cathe. The Cathe. The Cathe. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, they're mean, also presumably. dreams. You yeah. Know, uh, sure. Inspirations yes. from your god. Yeah. Sure. That you, oh. you, it's up to you to sort of create that landscape. Yeah. So it's kind of anything that has a voice that speaks to the characters or does like sort of an action to them. Yeah. Yes. That's a good way to think about it. In general, uh, a game has sort of a small cast of kind of central NPCs, people that the players are going to encounter often or, you know, sort of habitually who form kind of an important part of how you communicate the world to your of the game to your players. That kind of that nucleus, that core that you'll right. have in any sort of episodic fiction. Yeah, and... exactly. I mean, you know, if you imagine that like... Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? The the Buffy and the the rest of the Scooby Gang, like those characters, are probably the players yeah. in that story. Right. But like Buffy's mom is an NPC, and Giles might even be an NPC. Yeah, Giles could be an NPC, although he becomes a PC in later seasons. Right. right. I love Giles. I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was so bummed they never did the Ripper show. That was going to be bad. Yeah. That was another thing that was going to be on. It's actually, Buffy's actually a great example of how to structure uh, these, these what is central 
as a character because, you know, you have the Scoobies, but then you have like the four main characters. Mm -hmm. And the cast is actually bigger than that. So I think for NPCs, you know, they can be all these things, but they're also an opportunity for the dungeon master to have a voice in the story. Yeah. So, so. um, you know, when I'm running a campaign, I purposely make it a group of four, but -hmm. only three of them are the players. So I still have like a way to sort of interact with the players, course Mm -hmm. correct if I need Mm -hmm. to, but also like, you know, get to have the fun with them. Yeah, you know, this like. is actually a, an innovation that that James sort of turned me onto as a GM is have a central NPC who's part of the player group. Okay. Right? And then that gives you a way to communicate with the players and give them some background information and you know, the his NPCs were always kind of they were always support for our characters. So like we would go out and do stuff and then our NPC would kind of feed us a little bit of information or we could ask them like, hey, can you go find out about this? But they weren't necessarily making big choices about the plot. Mm-hmm. But that gave us so much information about the world and watching how the NPC would react to situations would cue us in as players to like, oh, this is a big deal and we should be paying attention or, you know, however. Because it, basically and non-player characters are the way for the players to talk to the game master okay. and ask about the world. Yeah. And and what is safe to ask and what will be answered then of course is flavored by who they're talking right. to. So you're sort so the an NPC is kind of like a possessed voice of God in a weird way. Like it's, <laughs> I th- so yes. this is a, this is something that Always. here's here's I think a way to think about it. Every NPC should be contributing to the story. But if every NPC is kind of a mouthpiece for the DM, mm. then again, then the then the world starts to feel a little flat, right? NPCs don't have agendas or desires of their own. They're just all kind of saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's up to you as the GM to find that balance between giving your NPCs, giving your, your, making your NPCs be able to communicate what you need them to, to the player Mm -hmm. versus remembering that your NPCs, in order for them to feel alive, they're going to have their own agendas and they're going to have their own desires. And, and it is, a huge challenge and a, I think worthwhile one as a, a game master to to take the time to inhabit those your NPCs in that really full way. Give them that full okay. sort of voice. Um, so let's, totally. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the book. Okay. Um, it's about this big. It's about, yeah. <laughs> it's got it, weighs, s- it weighs about this much. Several pages. Human skin so cover. It's got this yeah. badass lich on the cover. It's it's totally metal. Oh, With a blinking eye. Oh. That's, that's my that's favorite totally. monster. That's the deluxe edition. I like the lich light, the demi lich. The demi lich. It's like a lich, but about half the size. Um, oh, so it goes down true. three quarters of the way. Yeah, totally. no. Um, well, all those gems. It's it's very fabulous. <laughs> Love the gems. Uh, so about the book, yeah. I, I, and I mean, this chapter is very short. We should say it's seven pages. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So maybe we might actually hit our forty-five minute goal with this episode <laughs> instead of an hour and a half. Uh, but it was relatively straightforward for mm-hmm. me. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of like really good you know, like things you can look at at their appearance that you can roll out if you want. Is there mm-hmm. a term for this? Um, like when there's a chart to uh, help you design pre-made. something? Random generation. Okay, yeah. 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 NPC generator. Yeah. 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 So like for for example, 
there and there were a lot of these charts in previous chapters that we've talked about, such as like creating towns and worlds and mm-hmm. villains and everything. There, there's a chart where you can roll a d20 and um, it'll uh, whatever you get will have a feature. So right. uh, if I take a d20 that is being placed in my hand right now by my co-host Alexei, as soon as I find one, magic. Where are they? I will also take a D6, because there's another thing I could chart, chart for. Well, okay, good. D- D20. All right, so I've got a D20, and there's a chart here that says NPC appearance, and I roll, and I got a 16, and so what it says is nervous eye twitch. Hmm. So yeah. uh, I'm guessing that I can roll as many as I want. Um, so I'm going to roll three just for shits and giggles. Yeah, uh, you probably don't want them all to be on the same dude, but... Nervous eye twitch, uh, formal clean clothes... <laughs> And uh, <laughs> unusual eye color or two different colors, oh which God. is heterochromia. They have to be on the same person now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so, Who so is here's this a, person? Here's a, here's I'm going to put this in my game, actually. Yeah. Sure. What, what's this person's name, Mary? Here's a like, you're coming up with this person. Oh, God. Who are they? Who is this well dressed, nervous Orthos. person? I'm naming, I'm naming Orthos. Orthos. Orthos is a good name. And actually, okay, it's funny. It's, it's not shit. actually an yeah. eye twitch, it's, and it's a discolored eye because that eye actually belongs to someone else. He doesn't have control over. Over that eye. So I think actually this will be because I think we talked in the last episode about mm-hmm. how the person who lures the group onto the uh, the turtle for um, mm-hmm. the mystery of Turtle Mountain, uh, the game that I'm creating uh, is going to be a priest of some sort. Yeah. So I'm going to say I'm yeah. going to say that that thing nice. I just rolled is going to be okay. or- Orthos, okay, yeah. the priest of some religion um, not yet yeah. decided upon, who has crisp, clean clothes. Eyes of different color mm-hmm. and a nervous eye twitch. And a, and yeah. a bit of a nervous eye twitch. Yeah, so yeah. I think he has one blue and one green, but like within the blue, it's sort of like one of those pale, uncolored zombie blues, uh, but with like those big brown freckles. Uh, and okay. uh, the other one, the, the more normal colored greenish, you know, like hazel one is the one that twitches. Uh-huh. Nice. He would be very handsome if he wasn't like totally creeping everyone right, out. Right, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so here's so so this chapter. So we're creating sort of, an NPC right we're now. Creating we're creating an NPC right, right now. now. Yeah, exactly. So this chapter gives you some sort of scaffolding, uh, kind of skeleton stuff on which to hang your NPC. And they talk mm-hmm. about you know oh you only need to really write like one sentence for each of these you know ten different attributes. Can you can you read off the list of attributes that are there? Sure. It actually it says uh, as you can see, ten sentences can sum up the main elements of a memorable NPC. Um, Occupation and history, appearance, abilities, talent, mannerism, interactions with others, useful knowledge, ideal, bond, and flaw or secret. Uh-huh. So I don't usually like write all 10 of those things for every NPC that I make. Yeah, that's no. like a LinkedIn account. It's, <laughs> <laughs> um, but some of those, I think, are, are especially really important. Um, history. Right. Where does this character come from? Once you started last, you know, last week we or last episode, um, we started out talking about, um, uh, you know, building the world that your players are going to be in. If you can keep that world in mind as you're building your NPCs, you can answer questions like, who is this person and where did they come from? Because then you can kind of extrapolate how they'll react to certain things. Right. Or okay. What are they doing here and what do they want to do? And so what would you guys say uh, is the difference between making an NPC that shows up in one scene versus one that you're going to want to have around for a long time? Oh, that's a great question. 
Often, I don't know whether an NPC is going to show up in one scene or stick around for a long time. Um, so again, I tend to front load and, and try to really like build out my NPCs pretty well. Because if, a, if players get invested in them or if players care about them, then and the players go back to them, I want to be ready. And then, you know, there, I, there's been plenty of times where I've, you know, invested a lot of thought into a into an NPC and and had a minor NPC the players just really just kind of clicked with. And maybe I was really on that night and I was able to portray the character very engagingly and the NPC that I really wanted them to connect with. And then I had plans for it. They just kind of like, ah, that guy's just kind of a dick. <laughs> <laughs> that happens all the time. Yeah. 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 It's- and so you just kind of think more in... I, I mean, I tend to think more in general terms of like, what what kind of cool character interaction moments do I want to have, you know, that are humorous or unnerving or, and and what information do I need to convey? Does that NPC need to convey to the players to sort of like move the, the plot along, you know? Um, and, you know, just like any kind of story, you want to kind of... You know, you want to start thinking about what, what, what am I, right. what am I, what are my side characters like? Yeah. You know? Who do I want to have around? I or have like, a, who are they going to be coming to? For I borrow around? from mm. everywhere. Yeah, like when feel I have to free come, to borrow. Nothing as much is as nothing as original. Yeah, you know, and I mean, I say that with like the greatest, you know, admiration. Like it's a, mm-hmm. it's totally okay for you to take from stories that you enjoy. Okay, okay I have a total guilt complex about things like this where I'm like I don't want to take you know like I was no. like oh maybe I'll name him no. Theon and I'm like no no I can't do no, that they, they or, stole those characters you know you too. could kind of right. take a character that's inspired by right. Theon yeah. and then kind of tweak his name a little bit and it'll give you as a as a GM, as a storyteller, mm-hmm. an anchor so that you don't have to because you're doing all this other work mm-hmm. so the the being able you know bringing together a fully realized NPC on the fly Mm -hmm. is sometimes unrealistic. So, you know, anchoring it like in stuff that inspires you is great. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, do you kind of make a character sheet? I mean, in the same way that you would make a character sheet as a player for a player. Uh, if your NPC is going to be around a lot and they're going to have, especially if they're going in a game like dungeons and dragons, um, if they're going to see combat, Mm -hmm. then yeah, probably. Um, uh, on the other hand, if you don't, I, you know, James and I play a lot of uh, Vampire the Masquerade and uh, World of Darkness games, and those are more narrative, and the combat tends to be a little bit looser and less like strategic and tactical. So when I'm running those games, I rarely make full character sheets mm. for my NPCs. Mm. I'll just give them. I'll be like, oh, they're from here, and they have these kinds of powers. You know, and then whatever they need in the moment. Okay. You know, I just have to, you you do have to remember anything that your NPC has been seen to do by the players, you need to remember oh because they God, need to be no. able to do it later. I just realized that this is, that being a DM might be really difficult for someone with terrible memory. You know, write notes. Uh, I mean, yeah. okay. like, keep I am a, like, keep, I have no memory. Seriously, I, I don't even know my name. Like, who <laughs> am I? But I, I, I type fastidiously mm-hmm. and make okay. sure that like you just it's like being in college. So I used to have this thing when I first started playing D&D, which wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. I think actually even before I started playing, but I was, you know, D&D curious. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> sure. We've all been there. Dungeon so curious. You've been to a con or two. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I don't know. Just like I know what a character sheet is. So I had nice. this kind of funny thing that I would do is like if there was somebody that especially if someone that upset me, like was mean to me or like 
I don't know if, you know, if they're just kind of being a turd, Mm -hmm. uh, I would try to figure them out by writing a character sheet for them. Um, and, and, Take that power back. Yeah, and almost always amazing. this would be villains and not like, oh, Clearly. I'm so, I mean, yeah. like, I'm so enraptured by how wonderful this person is. I mm-hmm. should make an NPC. Although now I want to, like, I want to make one for uh, our friend Whitney, maybe. Like, she would be a great NPC. She's, mm-hmm. she's a good NPC. Um, I do that with weird names when I hear people with weird names. Oh, and really? I, like, immediately write a story about them mm-hmm. or, like, names that are uncommon in this part of the world. Just and, they inspire me to do something weird. And let huh. me say one thing about names: um, players over the course of the over the course of a, a campaign are going to be hit with a lot of names. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just try to, you know, if you're going to have a character that the players are going to have to remember, just make sure to keep the name relatively simple. It's yeah. Something that they can, you know, that rolls off the tongue, and you know, is is relatively easy. You know, even if they have like a nice long, you know, his name is Elthandiel Belterian. Uh, but you can call him Elfan. Fan. Call yeah. him you know? Fan. It's cool. Just call him Fan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so or like McClovia, for example. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, I mean, the main reason I did not read Lord of the Rings until my 20s was that I get about 100 pages in and, and, like, and like, I have I no idea any, any of these, these names. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've always been actually like, a, even in D&D, just like... Uh, I always tend to play humans and I just tend to like take real world names it's like remove a vowel or like I love Aztec it, names yeah. and mm. like like oh, Maclovia yeah. like is more native tradition in Mexico mm. it's a rarer term like uh, Maritzka mm. you know like shit with hella consonants yeah. I'm super about hella it hella consonants hella consonants yeah. throw some apostrophes in there you know? <laughs> really fucking hyphens so again I'm I'm the I'm the sort of like historical like I tend to you know I tend to try to think about you know, what is the society that this person came from? And like, what kinds of names are, you know, do, do you find there? But a lot of that stuff, my, my tendency is like write the history and then build the character. But for a lot of people and a lot of great games, they build the characters first and then work backwards to the society and huh. and only write the society if it becomes important in the story. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, leave blank spaces is actually uh, Colin Ferrion, our guest from last week. Mm. Um, it, it, he plays a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games, and leave blank spaces is actually a really powerful sort of motif, or they have a specific word for it, uh, uh-huh. like an agenda that players, that GMs are asked to hold to in the course of play. Like, don't try to explain everything. Leave blank spaces so that there's place for stuff to. To kind of appear yeah. uh, in play, which again, I mean, that is a lesson that I, as a GM, could learn, could stand to learn. Uh, so, so mo- moving, moving yeah. through the chapter. Um, so tell us about your turtle priest. Okay. So we know he's got weird eyes. So there's other charts mm-hmm. in this, um, and they basically go through uh, almost all of the the things that it says of the, the you know detailing NPCs. Um, and gives you a way to roll for it. Uh, how many of these do you know? Like, you know, so there's one that we did that was appearance, and then there's abilities and talents and mannerisms. Like, how many of those? As many as you want. You could do as many as you want. You could do none. You could, you know, you could sort of what what I think I'm going to ask you to do is come up with a central concept for this character, mm-hmm. and then we can go through the various charts and sort of see what lines up. Or okay. maybe think about, you know. Uh, what role do we, does this NPC mm-hmm. need to play in my campaign? Yep. You know, is this an adversary or an advisor or an ally or, or you know, something along those lines? Yeah, I, I definitely think this character is, is the first and 
probably one of the most major NPCs. Uh-huh. Uh, if he's bringing my party, somehow getting them to turtle mountain. I'm in my mm-hmm. head at this point. I'm kind of thinking that he, and I think we talked about this before that he's sort of the they are as of yet gendered uh, person. Uh, the uh, the adversary as well as like a primary NPC. I think we talked about that last time. Yeah, maybe. So we what we talked about last time was that the players are going to be asked to go to Turtle Mountain mm-hmm. to to in, investigate some of these uh, earthquakes that are mm-hmm. happening. So if you know, we've talked about this character as the Turtle Priest. Mm-hmm. Are you what relationship? Let's start with this. Actually, what relationship do you think this priest character has to the Turtle? I hadn't really thought of it in that way. Okay. Um, so what I was thinking was that for some reason this person would be bringing the party to the turtle, but also somehow the adversary. Like maybe he wants to kill or otherwise, you know, mine some precious resource. Like maybe there's some gem or other wealth that is in the shell or heart or whatever of the turtle that can only be exposed if the turtle's dead mm. yeah okay um uh i mean that's a pretty greed that's a greed sort of based one sure, i mean there could yeah. be a revenge based one but i don't know what that no, would no, be no. The, the, hey again mm. it's your game like go yeah. with yeah you know i think greed is pretty i mean it's a pretty easy one to access i mean like a revenge thing you'd have to like love the characters that he was getting revenge right, on or yeah. something like yeah. otherwise it's just sort of like okay yeah. i guess he's mad i suppose so, okay, so the priest, so we've said turtle priest, but the priest is not actually a priest, like, of the turtle. No, I think he's a priest from somewhere else uh, out in the world. And, and he wants the, he wants that, you know, uh, again, so. It's like Ambergris, but in, in a turtle. Or sure, something. sure, sure. Yeah. Turtle gris. So, so he has heard, right, priests are, they're, they're often they're scholars, right? In, mm. in a In a world where. Uh, in a world that's still kind of pre in a world in a world <laughs> um, that's still that's kind of pre-industrial. You know, we talked about uh, we talked about uh, like uh, religious institutions as performing kind of hospital functions last time, but they could also perform kind of historical functions. Mm-hmm. So this guy has heard about or has read about or has become, you know, it's become clear to him that there's a, a resource in this turtle mm. and he wants to get it. Yes. So how do the players, if he's the antagonist, mm. now the only thing that you have to do, the players are going to Turtle Mountain to investigate the the earthquakes and the priest is coming to Turtle Mountain to try to dig up the turtle. Mm. See. How do you get, all you have to do is put these two things at like, in contravention, like at loggerheads. Yeah, I mean, because if the, he's trying the to conflict? bring, if he's trying to bring them onto the turtle, and then also, you know, is sort of like the twist is, you know, that he's also the antagonist. Why does he want them there? Like, maybe they have skills think, to get in. So I thought he's that maybe the, really weak or something. I thought that the uh, let's let's kind of like let's let's uh, separate two characters. Okay. So there's the priest who's on the turtle trying to get this turtle resource, mm. but the the players are going to be coming from a town maybe on the other side of the mountains or, mm-hmm. or di- separate from. Oh, the, sorry, the valley. I think it's a valley. Yeah, yeah. in the valley. Yeah. So the so the you know maybe the priest comes from a monastery up in the mountains, mm-hmm. and the players come from a town down in the valley. Mm-hmm. And the town, the leader of the town, has said, "Go up to the turtle." 
and go up to Turtle Mountain and investigate these um, these earthquakes. Mm-hmm. And when they get there, they find the priest. It's not so much that he's bringing them there. Because, mm-hmm. again, if he's bringing them there, why does he want them there? Well, I think that there's some sort of... For me, it feels like there's some sort of interesting something in that he was the one... Maybe either that he tried to get them there or... He maybe hired them to go with him there. Something where there's, they he's trusted at first and turns out, hmm. you know, I like that twist. Well, it's there's right. the there's there's you know the there's the twist of the story of oh, the, of Aladdin and the lamp who mm-hmm. was as a small child was was essentially taken by the vizier the Jafar mm-hmm. to where this treasure hoard was and with the express purpose of just having the kid. Having Aladdin go in there and mm. get the the uh, the lamp for him, mm-hmm. so in a sense, make make uh, Aladdin take all the risk and oh, bring him the reward. Yeah. That's one idea. There's also, you know, uh, if you want to go dark, uh, oh yes, the um, the priest is bringing them the players to this place. One is insurance because they're capable, and he, mm-hmm. they, if there's any dangers, they're they're insurance against facing those dangers. But they are the sacrificial victims that he's going to be bringing to activate something, turn on something, open something, be able to access the resources he so wants. Another thing that we talked about last time was a curse, right? Maybe the priest is uh, a friend of the players and they're all going up to Turtle Mountain to investigate these earthquakes together. And then they get there and the priest becomes sort of obsessed with the possibility of you know, riches under the earth. And so he becomes, he sort of shifts that the, the curse warps him uh, into mm. sort of changing his allegiance or changing his, uh, his objective mm. um, in a way that would then kind of contravene the players. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So what, I mean, all right then, which of that, which, which of those feel good to you? Or, or, I, I do kind of like that, the uh, um, that he's using them for their talents. Okay. Um, I kind of see him as sort of a. You realize your players can never listen to this podcast. Now. No, we've talked about yeah, this yeah. because I, you know Alexei has been asking who I want my players to be. Who I've been thinking, I'm like, well, it's you know I have to find someone that I like enough to want to be one of my players, but don't want to be <laughs> listening to the podcast. And it's this really like, it's a. Terrible. Well, you know. Well, you know. We. Well, it's good we have segments because then we can can just skip skip this segment. Right. I mean, every single podcast has the horrible spoilers. They could be on like delay, right? Yeah. Maybe they're in. Maybe they're somewhere with no cell service for the next like six months, (laughs) and then we can play the game, and then they can come back and listen. Come back and listen. Or maybe there's someone who doesn't ever listen to things I recommend to them, and I can do this whole (laughs) weird reverse psychology thing. Listeners, if you're out there. Uh, you can't be in Meredith's I'm sorry. <laughs> Shit. You are, yeah, off the list. Not es- not Escape to Turtle Mountain. No, um, Mystery Mr. Turtle Mountain. You can't yeah. be on that one. No, but there, no. there's there's sort of a um, kind of, I don't know, I guess it's a, it's a trope of some some kind. But um, you have a character like this this uh, turtle priest who's a catalyst for, for events to occur. Mm-hmm. And this character's motivation to do whatever he's doing is very strong and maybe personal to them. But you, once you deal with this threat, 
they, the players ultimately learn that this person is actually working at behest of something, someone bigger than they, and that this is sort of a what I call like it's the tip of the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm. kind of effect where you're you're kind of you're running into into a bigger issue. Right. You're just you're running into like one little tiny symptom of what's of of something bigger that's going on. Okay. I'm, you know, I sometimes I'm like a mean GM. I realize because in my head I'm like, okay, so I've so I've spoken with Alexa a little bit about Turtle Mountain, and I'm I'm really Why sad that you're talking to and the then I'm really sad talking? that I'm not going to be in Turtle Mountain because clearly I've listened, right? Um, but it's effing amazing. And well, but what you can do, I so. This podcast has an explicit tag. You can swear. Yeah, you can swear. Oh, okay. So I'm yeah, really no, good at it too. Okay, okay, yes, there's, great. There's Thanks. Word after we say the bad. Makes words. me happy. Yes. <laughs> I was just gonna say, like, you know, the turtle moves, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The turtles. The turtle. So the turtle starts moving at some point through some. They're brought basically the characters so far are being brought to Turtle Mountain. Uh-huh. There's been earthquakes, which is basically the turtle waking up for some reason. I, in my head, it's somehow initiated by the. Either the, it's somehow initiated by this priest. What did I say his name was? Oh, Othar. Oth. Oh, uh, shit. Orthos. Uh. Orthos. Orthos. Yeah. You can kind of like the object of the 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 game doesn't need to necessarily always be like the completion of a giant arc. So sometimes you can say at the outset, you know. Turtle priest is bad. Turtle priest. Turtle priest wants you know to get something inside the turtle. Um, sends the players to get it. They go in. You know they're not going to win. They're not going to pull like whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know like ancient piece of a brain from a giant you know turtle right. thing. You know, but it's the the adventure along the way that sort of like solidifies the group and the NPCs mm-hmm. together. So yeah, definitely. It's it's really. It's uh, it's something. Yeah, or or that that turtle priest, their encounter with them, mm. that's the one shot. That's like the one shot yeah. that kicks off the campaign. You know. Yeah. So, oh man, oh man. Okay, okay. Let's hear it, Alexi. Wait. Lay it down. Okay, you do a one shot that starts with this turtle priest. What, what's a one shot? It means like a one off. It so means like, you're not yeah. going to write a campaign around it. Has yeah. it ever worked? The I mean, every time up, I go to a campaign, I'm like, no, it's, it's a one shot. It's like five. No, no, games no. It, it, this is that's in the, the sense that like this adventure, it might even be more than one session. No, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of like whatever this turtle priest is doing, mm-hmm. um, when he's done with it, then that story's done and that turtle priest probably doesn't show up again unless you really want to bring him back. But it's sort of like whatever that happens is a catalyst for something bigger and that kind of like kickstarts the yeah. whole campaign. So it's my, not the focus here, Cameron. My idea was that, you know, the the players, uh, and this goes along with this like mean GMing, uh, <laughs> the players get asked by this turtle priest to go up to Turtle Mountain and get, you know, a piece of the turtle's brain or whatever. They get up there. Uh, you know, they fight their way through the, the cavern, they see the turtle's brain, then, like, the turtle wakes up, rocks fall, everybody dies. Mm. And then we pick up the game a hundred years later after the turtle has been, like... Running. You know, has been, like, has been like dragging its <laughs> way through the landscape. So, actually, that would be kind of fun is to have... Uh, I mean, this is getting ahead of myself, but, like, have the second campaign be that. Yeah. Right? And then anybody who... Uh, who... I can swap groups, right? People who listen to the podcast can play the second one. Right, and exactly. Yeah, yeah, potentially, um, yeah. Or that this is the backstory of Turtle Mountain. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it, all people know now is that it's been somewhere <clears throat> for like 90 years, you know, mm-hmm. and this is what brought it to the new place, yeah. you know? Or, or oh, like you, you have the players and they do the thing and, and they die and they die 
and uh, uh, and that becomes a legend. Mm-hmm. And then, but then the player's like, "Well, hey, what about the cool character I made? You're, you're still playing Tough. that character because oh. you're playing those characters now. Like, but they're sort of like you know, they're they're sort of." Archetypes of those fallen like heroes from two hundred years, you know, Turtle 100. Mountain, the like, next you know, generation. People say, "Boy, yes. you know, you look a lot right, like right, right." You know, <laughs> they find they find like uh, they find statues yeah. of themselves yeah. from a hundred years ago, like mm. fallen heroes who like come back to life Intrigue. to to stop the the turtle. There's two sort of larger questions I have uh, outside of, and I don't think we need to go through every rolling chart in here though maybe we'll do a couple more in a moment Mm -hmm. um for orthos or whatever his name winds up being um and one of the things is how to create a character that you know like is clear that you're not just supposed to fight him or clear or fight them immediately because i think that most most games i've ever done with exception of games you've run alexei uh, almost every NPC that's introduced is somebody that I'm supposed to fight and kill. Wow. Um, oh, wow. I know. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, a good first step. Oh, and the, sorry, and the second ahead. one is yeah. voices and importance thereof. Uh. <laughs> uh, I'll speak. I'll speak to the first point. Okay. Uh, a good first step when you're introducing NPCs that you don't want your players to kill mm. is to remind your players that you don't murder most of the people that you meet. Right. Like, like if you can couch that NPC interaction in terms of like, this is someone who is offering you a job. Oh, okay. They probably won't kill them. You don't they, mean literally remind them like, hey, guys, remember, remember don't kill. Everyone. Don't murder everybody. I mean, uh, that might not be a bad idea. But at the very least, again, it's sort of like if if, if the NPC just bursts on the scene and is like, I am uh, a dude, yeah. you know, I'm this person, then I don't know, maybe your your players mm-hmm. will take a swing at them. Mm-hmm. But if that person has a reason to be interacting with your players, I, I've... They're not going to kill him yet. I very, very rarely encountered mm-hmm. a player who will just be like, I stab him! Yeah, that's some Grand Theft Auto shit. Yeah, I'm like, that... I'm like, that don't play guy, a video game, girl. That, no. guy was, that guy was trying to sell you a chicken. Yeah, like, girl I, girl I, is there, my there games like that, but that was, you know, that was... <laughs> That was how the games we were playing, you know, in sixth grade. Yeah. You know? I mean, I don't understand, yeah, no. understand the mentality behind, behind players that do just sort of up and psycho on some on an NPC. And, and not and I've seen it happen. I know it happens all the time. Players just seem to think that this is a world. I think this is a con- consequence-free world. Mm-hmm. And that's actually sort of what you kind of have to reinforce as the game master that, no, this is... This is sure. This is a fantasy. This is a, a shared world, and it, you know, uh, but it is a world with consequences, and, and your choices have consequences. People, you could kill that NPC, but there, you know, the world is going to push back. I mean, huh. e- even if you, even if you're playing a very light, very fun game, if your players are being cavalier about the lives of the people around them in the fiction of the world, don't. Accept that kind of behavior. So I think this might be a good point to ask this question because it, well, honestly, just popped in my head. But how do you not get pissed off at your players? (laughs) (laughs) Or if you do, like, how do you redirect that? Drink. (laughs) (laughs) Heavily. Yeah. Smoke weed. Um, I mean, yeah. But uh, no, you, you no, kinda, all joking aside. You, you kind of have to enlist the aid of the other players. You, you kind of have to have yeah. allies within the players to sort of help corral the, the trouble spots and, and keep things moving along. And um, yeah, it sucks. I mean, players are in a way co 
GMs. Right. Like, yeah. I've always found like the DM GM player PC NPC model and method mm-hmm. a lot more loose. Um, yeah. Like we all contribute to the story yeah. and we all write. And you know, if if you play long enough with the group, you know, Alexei's run sessions of my vampire games, of my D and D games. Mm-hmm. Like you build like a level of trust with your players. And I actually, I actually think trust has come up in my head a couple times listening yeah. to you, you folks talk. And you have to a good NPC is one that you don't know whether or not to trust or not to trust. You Potentially, know, yeah. Um, a good player, a non-player character that's a part of your party is one that the, the players implicitly trust you. So when I say to you, um, you know, Joe, your friend that you've known for four years is telling you, you need to shut the fuck up and stop mm-hmm, starting mm-hmm. a fight with this barmaid. Yeah, yeah. You're going to listen to me as Joe, not right. as the barmaid. right. You know, so like you have to kind of locate the voice in the story mm-hmm. and then use yeah. it to 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 suit the situation. Yeah. You know, another thing that I think really helps is, again, kind of like as your players build their characters, you know, be take the time and we'll we will do a later episode about building player characters. Right. Which is like ha- having the interaction between a GM and a player as they make a, pl- a character mm-hmm. is really important because that gives you the GM a-, a chance to say like, OK, well, who is this player going to be in my world? And, you know, and it gives you a chance to do things like give your players social links to other people, you know, families and like friends and jobs and things that anchor them into the world. And then when they're like, I haul off and, you know, punch this cop. You're like, really? Are, would you, are you sure you want to do that? Like, that's actually, you can I just, a, can sure. I say, that's actually something that I don't like about the Dungeon Master's Guide. Mm. Like, they should actually front load player character creation. Because, yeah. I mean, they offer this tenant that your player characters are the main characters in your story and that you're mm-hmm. playing to them. Mm-hmm. But, but the but, DMG... But the DMG isn't structured like that. Right, yeah. Like, if you're building Turtle Mountain, Turtle Mountain should have a piece of all the characters mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. playing in the Turtle Mountain game so that they feel invested. Yeah. I'm actually yeah. struggling with this right now in a game that I'm running where I'm, I've devised this huge like network in this world and I've written these stories through these characters that the players have actually stopped playing so like a bunch of them played mm-hmm. like characters and then switched at level three mm-hmm. okay. but the story and this overarching it's like you have to really account for that yeah. um and and you have to do course corrections if you're running a campaign mm-hmm. if you're running like a confined story you don't really hit that Alexei yes those are all human NPCs. That is, well, yet one human NPC that we've talked about so far. What other types of NPCs are there? Actually, like, monsters make a pretty significant part. You mean like... <laughs> like the Monster of the Week. <laughs> like- yes, exactly. What's that thing? Let's have a peek. Monster of the Week. And the monster of this week mm-hmm. is the Ancient Silver Dragon. Now, the Ancient Silver Dragon is distinguished by its ancientness of course (laughs) because the dragon at this age has become more or less a mastermind a powerful mover and shaker in whatever world that they happen to be in now what distinguishes the silver dragon from other dragons is that the silver dragon could be said to be the most militant of all the dragons the silver dragon as silver represents purity the silver dragon is the most one the most 
militant at the forefront to fight evil, to fight uh-huh. demons, and to fight undead, and huh. to basically stand at the forefront of draconic armies to face darkness wherever it is found. And that is what the, the uh, silver dragon is. And being an ancient silver dragon, this does present it as a kind of character that can act as a major NPC mm-hmm. for any campaign. Because being militant, they're also active. And if they are active, then it means the threat against this world is grave. And so this can be introduced early in a campaign to sort of really drive home the magnitude of the threat that the players of the player world is going to be facing. Or you bring him in as just sort of a natural escalation of the continuing rise of really interesting characters that the players will meet over the course of their campaign. Uh, we should actually mention that there's a pretty significant distinction in Dungeons and Dragons between what are called the chromatic dragons, yes. red, blue, black, white, and green, right. versus the metallic dragons. Oh, man. Gold, silver, bronze, brass, and copper? Copper. And um, platinum. Uh, platinum. And the, 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 the chromatic dragons are evil, and the metallic dragons are generally good or neutral. That's right, yes. So, are so this... that's why, like, a silver dragon, if, if, if players who are generally good see a silver dragon, they should feel like, oh, a dragon's going to save our butts. Yes. But then the dragon will probably be like, do you deserve it? Yes. So uh, is a dragon, especially a metallic or silver dragon, a character that could be ongoing or somehow oh, sure. affiliated? Oh, yes. sure, I mean, you could imagine a silver dragon at the head of like a big sort of military or paramilitary organization. Imagine um, it as a general. I think that for me, the thing about dragons is as NPCs, they need to, they always need to have something more than just, uh, I, you know, the sort of, with all due respect, the worst dragon antagonist is Smog. Right, because he's just so single-minded. Yeah, exactly. Because all he does is sit sit in a mountain, kill horde, Uh and 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 the the type of story that you can tell with that is players go to the dragon, kill the dragon, take the treasure, and leave, and that's dull. Mm. But if you think about like dragons, one of the abilities that dragons in Dungeons and Dragons have pretty much out the gate is polymorph. Mm -hmm. They can change their shape. They can turn into... Oh, I had no idea. Oh, yeah. You didn't tell me that. Oh, my God. Oh, well, Scandal. And it's funny because I actually have a story around that. So, so, well, which is to say Hold that, the phone. We hold the phone. Now, now give, give the, the phone, phone to, me. to me. No, I'm going to give you the phone no, in just no, a second. No, no, you keep going. Which is just to say <laughs> you that... You keep the phone. Polymorph, <laughs> the fact that dragons can change their shape, one, potentially gives games a little bit of a, like, weird spy story vibe where you're like, who is the dragon uh-huh. in this? So some, dragonborn so, I know someone in this party is the dragon, there but I don't dragons know who. among us. Um, but it means that dragons should be a part of the world and they should act in the world. Yes. Silver dragons are a great example. They're, they're militant, they're good, and they're deeply committed, kind of like maybe fanatically committed yeah. to the eradication of evil, which means that like, you know, sure, they could go around in a giant dragon form and blow things up, but it's also reasonable to expect them to transform themselves into the kind of person who could spend 50 years becoming a general yeah. in an army and making everyone in that army fight evil on their behalf because mm. that's an efficient use of their resources. Dragons live for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. 50 years, you know, getting, getting to the top of some military chain. And I think if like, you look in the monster manual, what is the age range for an ancient dragon? Oh, I don't know. You have the How many years? years? 
Oh, it's right <laughs> here in my feet. Are all the dragons and Dungeons and Dragons like um, sentient and intelligent, basically? Yes. Yes. Uh, they get so dragons. Oh. So dragons are differentiated by their age. Um, they go from babies to wormlings to young dragons to them. adult dragons. I love them so much. To ancient dragons. So ancient dragons are 800 years or more in age. Yeah. So, you yeah. know. It doesn't seem that old, actually. But yeah. They don't necessarily die right? from natural causes. In the causes. grand scheme of like elves and whatever. I, oh. If I were riding this dragon, I would propel their age into the thousands. Yeah. yeah it, I mean, add I would, another I would, zero. No I problem. I would think that five generations of elves or more... That age would be like if you're like if if five generations ago that person met the dragon that you're talking about and you're an elf. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. totally. You know, that's yeah. that's about like it's about sure. five. Uh, like if a, if three, an elf lives for like three to five hundred years or like upwards of eight hundred right. years, that should be like a, like a drop in the bucket to a dragon. Dragons start out as about human intelligence, and as they get older, they get smarter. And by the time they're ancient, they're like way beyond mm. sort of like general human intelligence. Okay. So, you know, yeah, Chris said masterminds. But also, there are dragons that remove themselves from the world, and the nice thing about silver dragons is that they don't. Huh. So, you know, the conversely, some of the best dragon uh, characters I've read or seen um, was from the uh, Elderling Chronicles, the uh, Robin Hobb book. The dragons almost can't even talk to humans because mm-hmm. humans are so short-lived and yeah. short and like they operate on such a different intellectual level not even necessarily that like their intelligence and this actually i think kind of ties in with npcs in a way it's like if all the npcs you meet their brains work the same as yours especially mm-hmm. if they're from a different background yeah is is makes it like very flavorless right so yeah, the dragons absolutely. in this other in this world like they can't even they're yep. i mean they're jerks hmm. to begin with sure but they also are like you know they're ancient they have memories going back thousands and thousands of years because mm-hmm. they retain the memories mm-hmm. of previous dragons but they just like operate on a completely different level yeah i think um, that's really powerful i think yeah. i think if dragons are going to show up in a game Make they need feel to different. feel different yeah. they need to feel alien yeah. um you know and again i mean it, and for different dragons that's going to f- be different things mm-hmm. The second point I was asking earlier, um, which was voices, which oh, yeah. I think is very like, especially when it comes to dragons, like uh-huh. if you're just like, hi, everybody, <laughs> my name is Smog, you know, like Hello. you have to have Benedict Cumberbatch, or like yeah. in it's not the right thing. Hi, uh, Smog. So do you guys do the voices? Uh, yeah. Alexei, I, I think you do some voices. I do voices sometimes. I, 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 I do a lot of, do the I do a lot of intonation stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do, I don't do a lot of voices. I always feel weird. Yeah, you know, doing if you voices. can't, if you can't really do voices, you know, there's a lot you can do with just sort of sp- yeah. pat- speech patterns. Yeah, um, you just kind of mix it up a little bit. Chris, you I, do voices. I do. I mean, now you've done them on the podcast. So I would assume you would do them as a dungeon <laughs> master. It's yeah. like, no, actually, I don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> That's I, just for you guys. Yeah, no, I, I, I love doing voices. Can I'm, you give us? Yeah, some yeah give us some voices. <laughs> well, why don't you just tell us about? Why don't you tell us like three NPCs in in? Because you're you're running a couple. So of games, uh, right? so in a game recently, I was playing. I was playing a character who's an investigator, 
um, ninja in a Pathfinder campaign. And investigators are fun because it's fun to play an intelligent character. And it's fun to like, mm-hmm. like approach a situation in, intelligently. Um, good for some character types, not so good for others. I had a friend who's like really, really smart and was playing a barbarian and he approached every situation very tactically and analytically. And mm-hmm. like, well, maybe if I go in that room, if I really, I'm like, you're a fucking barbarian, just run in there and just start hitting things. <laughs> anyway. Smash the door down. Yeah. Smash you, anything inside. Why are you thinking? Yeah. Totally. Um, and uh, I had to, I had to, uh, we had to infiltrate this town. And so I, I said, well, what are we going to do? I'm like, okay, well, I, I got a disguise skill and I, I disguised myself and, and we walked up the first NPC and, and they said, and GM says, what do you do? And I'm like, I pull back my hood and this old woman <laughs> says, oh, excuse us, we're looking for my granddaughter and she's about, you know, and, and they're like, you know, That's I'm just kind of carrying, and I, I, Close my eyes. I was I like was a, uh, <laughs> I carried that voice throughout the entire, like, you know, the, all the time we were in that town and even at the end, then I staged uh, a Nana Severa, that was the character, the persona's mm-hmm. name, mm-hmm. I staged her sudden cardiac arrest in the town <laughs> square <laughs> and then we smuggled myself out of town in a casket, you know. Commit to the bit, man. Yeah. Commit to the thing. Um, so, uh, you know, one thing I, w- I was looking at the um, Reddit, the Dungeons and Dragons subreddit, and one of my favorite things I saw recently was someone's character who was a little old lady tiefling. <laughs> and then they had art, and it was really cute. That's awesome. But it, it made me think about um, when I'm creating NPCs, I really want to make sure to have an age range. Because, yeah. like, looking back, I'm like, oh, everybody's in their sort of, like, mid-20s to right. early 40s. And not, yeah, like diversity in your NPCs is so important. Yeah, like, you want again. Every NPC is a chance to kind of like to to highlight some other part of your world. And when you're making them, it gives you each one gives you a chance to think about. Oh well, what is this person's life like as an elderly person? What is this person's life like as someone who is you know like you know, female in a position of power in a very misogynistic society or like trans or non-binary in like mm. a society that accepts that or doesn't like mm. how, how do people feel about this character's gender? Like, is mm. it a thing that they've talked about a lot or like is just everybody's like, whatever, we don't care. Um, you know, and, and I think making your NPCs, giving your NPCs like that kind of breadth mm. of representation and of diversity, not only is it cool from the point of view of like, making your world richer mm. but as a dm it makes you think about oh what is this character's experience and how does that inform sort of the rest of the it also seems more fun yeah definitely i, mm-hmm. I mean which i hear yeah. this game is and can yeah, be fun and can be fun it's yeah. true it's it, on occasion yeah well so it was a, a it was a ravenloft campaign i was running a while my back favorite mm. and um yeah i was one of my favorite too my favorite, um, big absolutely. influence i love the yeah, whole idea that kind of like the psychagogic yeah. realms i were, still wear all black were, that are shaped by the <laughs> by the by Wait, really the, quickly what is this thing so ravenloft is a supernatural horror fantasy setting made by tsr back in the day continued on now in the curse of strahd campaign it's totally goth edition. dungeons and Wait, dragons. so a yeah. campaign setting is that Something like a world. Dungeon and Dragons. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, like the terms, I'm still. Sure. Sure. It's sure. not sure. its own system. Yeah. Okay. No. 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 Yeah. It's it uses the Dungeons and Dragons rules, and it's a new setting that your players can go to that has maybe its own special rules, and then, like, but mostly like like different new, planets or different dimensions places, or yeah. planes or yeah. And in, in okay. the Ravenloft setting, it's it's a sort of a gothic horror fantasy world where there are different realms and each realm is kind of ruled over a different sort of dark lord the who 
possesses dark lord. supernatural powers. And so that realm is kind of like becomes a dark reflection of their pain. Oh, but they are so tortured. Yes, they, they are, are extremely so tortured. tortured. So pale and tragic. Yeah, I had this one realm where the where the birds constantly tweeted out the whistle tune of his of its dead wife, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, one of the players' allies, who allies was a was a silver dragon who would spend a lot of his time polymorphed in a human form to interact with them. But over the, at, at a midpoint in the campaign, the silver dragon ally got ensnared by Strahd and while polymorphed into its humanoid form was bitten and turned into a vampire. <gasps> oh, and that's became, really bad. Became a vampiric tarnished silver dragon oh, who wow. became the main, like Strahd's main lieutenant and, and the main uh, like villain adversary of the party oh, for my for hot diggity damn goddess. Yeah. The players were pissed. That's, yeah, I would be too. <laughs> now, can I ask you a question? Did, was this planned or did it just happen by chance? I, no, I, it, it did. It did kind of uh, happen. It kind of just kind did of the evolved. dice dictated in a way. No, no, it was more like I was thinking of like things I could take ways. I could, I could, Change, you know, just switch things up, make things more interesting for the players, and mm-hmm. and they had this this NPC that they kind of came to rely on, and I kind of felt like maybe I need to take this NPC away. Yeah, from it them. was a bit of a crutch. Yeah, and because um, they they were starting to think like you know when I first heard the players go, you know maybe we should ask Vlad, you know maybe he can help us out, and I'm like, mm-hmm. all right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. And um, he's gonna be hefty dead. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not the only meme. <laughs> no, I'm not hefty dead him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this and is so, worse. Like he doesn't just die; he gets he gets suborned by the other side and turned evil. Yeah. Goth <laughs> dragons. Goth dragons. Yeah. Oh man, I love oh, that geez. story. There, there is a Draco Lich, which is like an undead dragon. Yes, mm-hmm. but but the the vampire dragon is its own thing that I never. Well, yeah, so no, I was just thinking. Yeah, it was just like great. I was like silver. Like tarnished silver, silver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and I was also Good. thinking like well what hap- what would happen if a vampire attempted to convert a polymorphed dragon like and a particular you know oh of course the dra- polymorph dragon could fight back but I'm like what if it's a really powerful vampire yeah it's the kind of thing where narratively in in another D&D game I could easily see a GM saying, well, that could never work, right? Yeah. Like, like that's just like, not dragons aren't susceptible no. to see, the that's bullshit. disease of vampires. Here's another rule as for burgeoning GMs. Rule of cool. Rule of cool. Rule of cool. Say oh, yes what is to the this? dress. You yeah. all know what this is, and I don't yes. know what this is. This is so exciting. It's it's If it's cool, do it. If yeah. it's cool, it works. Like Say yes. You know, the... The rule is if someone wants to do something and it's really cool, it works. Yeah. The best thing <laughs> I can do as a GM is change something, mm. is to tweak uh-huh. something. So in my game, they all think they know, like, for instance, what drow are. Mm. But I, the DMG is a suggestion. Yeah. So in my head well, and in my campaign, I've changed it. So I'm banking on their assumption because I'm playing with people who have played a ton of games. It's mm-hmm. like you have to you have to outsmart them. You have to be you, have, you 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 can't be scared to taint a silver dragon. So James, when did you start playing role playing games? Uh, awesome. Actually, uh, Chris and I were talking about this earlier. Uh-huh. Um, I the first game I ever picked up was Advanced Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. when I was twelve years old. Is mm-hmm. that is that a particular edition? It's like part two. It's okay. The set, yeah, basically the second edition. Yeah, yeah. but not was, the second edition. Remember, we talked a little bit about D and D editions before, and like 
there's a basic set and then there's the advanced set, but then there's an earlier version of D and D, and then I think there's an even earlier version. That's terrible. That was yeah, no, I remember mail. feeling that was stupid. I yeah. should know this, but I'm like the at some point we'll go through like the exact history of the company. But Advanced Dungeons and Dragons was go. definitely okay. like Yeah. Uh it was awesome. Yeah. I mean I loved every moment of it. <clears throat> I I was a player in that game, played a couple characters, um, played for a few years, played Shadowrun. Um, I got really into what's called live action role playing. Yes. Mm. I was a full on LARPer. Like full on. I I have not LARPed, but I love, I'm in love with the idea of LARPing. I I also have like a long term LARP past. Like that's definitely a thing that I did for a long time. Really? Oh yeah. Oh, I got the impression that you did not. No, no, not of LARPing no. at all. Are you, oh my! Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> Good goodness, no. Oh. We should do a LARP episode. Okay, well, oh we're definitely going to do that to now. To be yeah. continued. Yeah, TBD. So I played D and D. You know, in my young years, uh, when I was a teenager, I got into LARPing, uh, specifically Vampire the Masquerade. I played with a group really early on in Mountain View. Um, we really solid troop and we stuck around for like a few iterations and I, I learned a lot about like what it is to like be a storyteller from that experience um, can you like summarize any of that or oh yeah for sure I mean there's like some core tenets about gaming in general James give us your core tenets of gaming in general go uh, I'd say the biggest uh, the biggest one that really like shakes to the core for me is the suspension of disbelief. Hmm. Like take your questioning mind and just put it aside because I mean, it works really well in your life, but when you're playing fantasy role-playing games, it actually works against you. Hmm. So be, just be ready to just separate. Hmm. And if your GM tells you that you're on a fucking turtle that has gotten up and has taken off and going somewhere, you're going to believe them. And so, so you're that's saying like a, as a, as a player, the mm-hmm. suspension of disbelief was really important to you. Oh yeah, as a player, and if, I think if you think about it for like 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 LARPing, that's especially yeah. important. It's true, you know, because you're. It's almost like you're gaming without a net when you're LARPing. I think another one is um, show up and do the work. Um, like, don't just show up and like do something half butt, half ass, half butt, half butt. You know, a cheek. Don't be cheap. Yeah, don't be, don't be cheap mm-hmm. with your cheek. Show the whole butt. Don't be turd. Yeah, you know, show up play be there to play and you know and that includes like the collegiality of gaming like mm-hmm. don't just fucking say you're gonna kill the bartender and then like the rest of the game is us dealing with the you know right yeah and we didn't get to play the game it's like although that's kind of cool you know have a little bit of mutual respect james tell us a little bit more about how you've made the transition to uh being a GM versus a player. Yeah, totally. And maybe mm. some things you've noticed, because uh, Alexei tells me you sort of recently started being a GM or DM. For Dungeons & Dragons. For Dungeons & Dragons. For 5th edition, yeah, specifically. Uh, so yeah, so like anything you can tell me about like going from being a player to being a DM, uh, I would love to hear like things you wish you knew beforehand or any things where you're like, oh, this is different than what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, no, totally. I've, I've actually done this transition now twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in my 20s, we went from playing like these huge, intricate live action role playing vampire games to playing sit down vampire role playing games. And so I've gotten to play the game both as a LARP and as like a tabletop RPG. Mm-hmm. And that's really where just like I fell in love with the genre. Um, 
the guy who ran our group, my fucking one of my closest friends of all time, uh, Mike Walking Stick, you know, he he ran like a small troop, but you know, over the years, you know, other shit came up. He had some stuff happen with his family. He couldn't focus on it. And so I kind of reluctantly stepped into the role because I would do a lot of like, you know, when you're jamming, you kind of have to have someone who takes the notes and have someone who does the initiative and have some, Mm -hmm. you know, there's sort of like other administrative roles. And I would often play those. So it's kind of like almost in a way sort of apprenticing Mm -hmm. with this person. Mm -hmm. And so I started to, tell the stories like these common stories that we had all played in for a long time and so it was it was really fulfilling for me um to kind of pick up a mantle and run with it and add to it there's 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 like i think a sort of oral history almost to yeah, this absolutely. gaming this these this gaming group that has evolved over you know 10 15 years that alexei's a part of and so it's it's actually been really cool um and then you know there's like this whole other subcomponent to it about like LGBT gaming. So like in San Francisco, I, you know, I, I'm, I live there, I'm gay, I'm, you know, and I'm married and I have this particular life that, you know, revolves around like a nine to five commitment. So my, like my time is very sort of, uh, you know, it fluctuates on what I'm available to do. And I found that a lot of my really close friends that I was gaming with, you know, they were all getting married and having kids and, moving to the suburbs and you know I was like the the gay duck in my crew and so I kind of just decided to restart like that core network of gamers that I had growing up who were honestly you know you know the the classic gamer folks from like the suburbs you know like I loved them they were Mm. they were my people but I didn't have them anymore so I I set out to like make a new community in in a way so you had to do with you had to make do with weirdos like us. Oh my God, like you. You're so weird. Are you kidding me? Actually, one of the things that I loved about you off the bat was that you reminded me, and to this day still remind me of the people that I grew up with, um, but you also make out with dudes. Um, so it's like coincidental. It's, it's one of my best qualities. So, so you know. I do that too. Right. Oh my God. All the, all the cool kids are doing I mean, yeah. it's just... It's the 2017 trend, trend alert, making out with dudes. But it kind of told me an interesting story, right? So like I'm, uh, my educational training is as a sociologist, Mm. specifically around sexuality studies, but generally speaking, like the trend and the culture and the community that was forming, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to stop it. So like suddenly Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh shit, I'm playing with like two games now. Fuck, I'm married. I have all these other commitments. I have family, I have dogs. But I couldn't couldn't say no to like people wanting to come and be a part of something that wasn't just going to a gay bar Mm -hmm. or going to a dance club or like whatever, like other social outlets there are for people you know, who are kind of find themselves in this similar state, you know, where like they want to build community. They want to like engage with others, but they don't want to do it in like the prescriptive space. They want to do it in a living room with a bunch of dice and some beer and fucking turtles that walk everywhere. (laughs) James, I have a question for you. Would you like to spin the wheel of monsters? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Next week's monster is going to be... The Baylor. The Baylor. So metal. The Baylor is the, the... 
almost the medalist of demons. Yeah. Maybe. Wow. wow. Oh, cool. I've actually yeah, used a Baylor demon in I, our game. I, I, well, we, well, we can't we talk about him until next week. It's next week's monster. Tune in of the next week. time. Tune in next week. Uh, thank you, James, so much for being our guest this week. I really appreciate. Thank uh, you. Yeah, uh, I really got a lot of your views on being a DM, and you're giving me a weird look. <laughs> I'm happy. Oh, I know. I look weird, but I'm happy too. Uh. Thank you, everyone who is listening to the podcast as well. Uh, let's see. We, uh, as of very recently, are now listed on iTunes, so you can find us there at Carpe Diem colon Make Your Game. Uh, we're also on Stitcher and Podbean. I just set these up. I'm very excited about it. <laughs> we're on Google Music, so you can find us there. Like I'm, I'm locking it down. Yeah. Like, we. Should be findable everywhere. And uh, please, if you have a moment, uh, rate and comment for us on iTunes. It's the best way for people to find us and for more people to learn how to DM. It's definitely, that's definitely super helpful. You can also find us at dmcast.net and as Carpe DM on Reddit and Facebook. Homework for next time. Mm. I want you to make five <gasps> NPCs. Five, including the one I including just Including Orthos the Turtle Priest. Okay. If you have any questions about building your own campaign or questions for us or things you'd like to hear on the show, uh, send us a note at CPDMcast on Twitter. Thanks again, Alexei and Chris, and especially James, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.